July 11th, 2019. An excerpt from the Sahara Desert when I had heat exhaustion and I was delirious. The desert heat is alive. It hovers like a monster, a vampire sucking the color from all that it touches. The sands ripple and flow, blood orange. There might be a name for my desert fever. My world is cloudy, hazy. I can feel my skull aching. Les has a touch that feels like life. In the Sudanese building, young men play the soundtrack to my confused dream state. Chanting, clapping, clanging, staring. My teeth rattle with the vibrations. Bleached desert world. Lost boys. Sand dunes. Smartphones. Holy ghost. Faster, 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 faster. Desert heat in my lungs. Desert heat coats my sinuses. Desert heat is a constrictor. The sounds of ritual. Bloodletting. Shamans. Passage from before to now. Healing touch again along my spine. Junkie. Desert child. Dusty feet. Clapping hands. I am fine red powder and desert linen. Bass drum sun. A silence and the echoes of chaos. Desert skin. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 128. My guest today is Omar Benjar. I will tell you how I met Omar. Well, I didn't meet him because he joined by phone, but how we kind of met. I have been in touch with Jinyu Fry and her husband and trainer Doug ever since Jin was on this podcast. She just uh, took part of a project that I will reveal to you soon that I'm really excited about. Um, but we go back and forth a little bit on social media. And Doug had seen that I was in Morocco and said, hey, one of the fighters that I'm training is out there right now. You should link up with him. Unfortunately, I had come home already. But I started following him, Omar. And I saw that he had gone to many amazing places that Les and I had gone to in Morocco I was like, ah, oh, man, I would love to talk about this with you. This sounds amazing. So he joined via technology, via WhatsApp, and um, we got it done. So we called in tonight from Texas, and we talked about his trip back to Morocco. He was born there, but just went back for the first time. We talked about his fight career a bit. Really fascinating, really interesting uh, and kind guy. I would love to get to meet him and the fries in Texas someday. So hopefully we can do a part two when I'm out there. That excerpt you heard in the beginning was from the Sahara Desert. We went to a town called Marzuga. It's really like a town in quotes. It's really an outpost for people that want to go to the Sahara. I hope it's fair to say that or, or accurate to say that it really exists for people that want to go to the Sahara. That's why it's there. And while we were there, I don't know what happened. You know, we picked the wrong time to go in the sense that it was just boiling, boiling hot, you know, middle of the summer, 115 degrees during the day, not much cooler at night. We slept in the desert. It's not like you have a fan or AC or anything like that. So it was super, super hot. Even though I go to hot places over and over and over again, I don't do super well in heat. Um... And I don't know, I guess we weren't drinking enough and I was just dried out and not doing well. So at one point, we even went, like we walked into the town and you have to wrap up uh, because of the, the sand and the heat. And I remember just like having the cloudiest thoughts and I, I couldn't do basic things. Like I was having trouble putting my shoes on. I know that sounds weird, but like Les looked at me at one point and was just like, dang, like you are not doing good. 
So we got fruit. And I remember just like looking at food and thinking, oh, I, I can't eat this. So like after Googling symptoms and stuff like that, like much later, uh, I'm pretty sure I had some, some heat exhaustion in the Sahara Desert. So that's what that excerpt is from. But there are many amazing things, including the Sahara Desert. That was like one of the highlights of all of my travels. Um, but many amazing things in Morocco and Omar and I got to talk about them. So make sure you go to the show notes after this episode to follow him on social media. And you can see his really wonderful pictures from all around Morocco because he just, he just did a trip all around, sort of like we did. Also, if you go to the show notes for this episode, you will see my Patreon link. Um, Patreon is a subscription-based service where you can give monthly and that will support this podcast. You'll keep the stories coming. I actually, like I always say this, I got a bunch of stuff coming, but now I like really have a bunch of stuff coming. Uh, so recording another one tomorrow and then I've got a whole bunch of stuff booked here for late September, early October. So hopefully you enjoy it and if you can give back, that would be really wonderful and great. Okay. Right before we get to this conversation with Omar, I am going to read one more diary entry from when I was in the midst of heat exhaustion, delirious, and crazy. Like when I look back, when I look back on these diary entries, I'm like, what in the world? Like, who was that person writing these things? So Here's one more diary entry from the delirious Tim in the Sahara Desert, and then my conversation with Omar. Also, 7-11-19. I have desert sand behind my eyes. I can feel all of my bones. I can feel everything. Am I hallucinating? There's lice, but I have bedbugs. Les is reading to me, oh my God, there's air now. Oh my God, thank you. There's air inside of me. I want sugar. Will I be able to sleep tonight? My lungs are dried out. The desert strums my ribs like guitar strings. All thanks be to God. Oysters dripping saltwater nectar. My chest is a hearth. The desert is where death is welcomed with a smile. Milk and honey and cigarettes and cell phones. What's up, Omar? Hey, how you doing? Really good. Actually, your sound sounds really clear, so that's that's a beautiful thing, man. Cool. Yeah, I got my uh, headphones in, so that's why. Awesome. That's probably why. That sounds yeah. great. Cool, man. Uh, listen, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate the time. I know you're a busy dude. You got work. You got training tonight, so yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Cool. All right, let's jump into it if if you're ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Cool. Uh, so I guess so so people know I had Jinyu uh, Fry on the podcast, and we've kept in touch since she's been on. I don't really know Doug too well, uh, but we talked back and forth a little bit, and he was he saw that I had been in Morocco, and he was like, "Oh man, one of my guys is out there right now. You got to link up with him." And unfortunately. I'm back in the States now and working, uh, so I just missed you, but I'm happy that we're able to connect and to talk about that and to talk about your career a little bit too. Uh, so yeah, thanks uh, thanks again, man. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. So let's start with this, Omar. Um, you were born in Safi, is that correct? Yeah, so in French, it's, in Arabic, it's pronounced Asfi. But in French, uh, they say Safi. So we we call it Safi, but I mean, some people call it Asfi. 
Um, so when I, when I type it, it's Safi. How much of your life did you spend there? Uh, 14 years. Ah, okay. So I know that uh, I'll say Safi just cause it's easier for me, but I know it's on the coast and when I was in Morocco, I went to a number of places on the coast and I want to get to that in just a little bit. But if you had to, uh, if somebody was to go to Morocco and you had to explain like, what is Safi like? How would you answer that question? Um, like, does it have to be like one word or? No, just like, what were your experiences there? Uh, what does it look like? What are the things that people do? Okay, so Safi is known for fishing. So there's a lot of fresh fish out there. So if you like seafood, that's the place to be. Um, There is fresh fish that you can buy every single day, like different types of fish, all kinds. Um, It's also known for ceramics. So the pottery and ceramics, they have like a lot of these shops. Um, they have like a certain area where they do, they do a lot of ceramics and pottery there. And, um, they have like surrounding shops that, uh, actually sells it. Um, so we're known for that. I actually brought some back. I don't know if you bought some, uh, pottery there. Um, but I got a few, few, uh, gifts from, uh, ceramics, um, <clears throat> like little plates and stuff. Um, it's also known for, uh, the beach. It's like, it's a really nice beach. They're actually talking about expanding it, um, making it a little bigger. But it, I mean, um, from what I remember it last time, it was like a little dirtier, but it's gotten so much cleaner now. Um, yeah, like I think that's that's like pretty much the highlight of the whole city. <laughs> yeah, there's something that I think most people, when they think of Morocco, they wouldn't know is that there are incredible beaches. I unfortunately didn't get to go to Safi. We passed through it. I think we actually like got off and switched buses there. But and I'm sure I'll screw this name up. But we spent a couple of days in um, Olidia. Walidia. Walidia. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I went out there. Actually, I have a sister that lives like about 15 minutes from there uh, in a smaller village that's called La Carta. So I spent the majority of my time out there. Yeah, and honestly, like, unbelievably beautiful beach. We did, like, um, you know, we travel on a budget. We, we don't have a lot of money or anything like that. But, like, that's where we did our one bougie thing because there's a place called Australia, I guess it's called, uh, and they have unbelievable oysters because they have all these, like, oyster hatcheries and farms right on the water there, and they just pick them right out of there. Did you have yeah. oysters there? I, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of oysters. Okay. <laughs> so, but uh, I, I did like go out in like a little tour boat. Uh, did you do that? A little boat that takes you around. We didn't do that, but when we were on the beach in the water and stuff, we saw them going by back and forth. Uh, that's awesome. A beautiful, beautiful city, uh, town, really. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's got a lot of tourists that live, I mean, a lot of people that are like outsiders, like foreigners from, you know, Europe and even, you know, sometimes the United States that like reside out there, you know, they have a lot of, uh, uh, real estate. Yeah. And like Moroccan royalty too vacation there. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. There, did you see the castle? I mean, it was probably like a little bit far, but, um, I think, I mean, you can point it out. Yeah, but uh, that's the castle that belonged to um, the the king. Uh, I think they're trying to restore it. I'm not sure, but there's always guards out there. So when I when I was going by the boat, they, the guy was like, uh, "You can't record that towards that direction." So I'm like, "Okay." Yeah. So, so then, when you were a kid, you you mentioned that um, fishing, obviously, and that makes sense, is a really big industry. Ceramics. Is that what your parents and your family were working in when you were a kid? No, um, my dad, so my mother was a stay-at-home mom. She, uh, I have six siblings, and I'm the youngest one of six. So uh, while she was raising the children, my dad would start working in the phosphate industry. Okay. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a big uh, phosphate 
factory in Safi. And so he kind of like worked his way in, started from the bottom and then uh, worked his way up. And then uh, he retired, I think, back in 2003. That's right before we moved here. So so he, he retired a little early. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what he did for the majority of his life. So when you were 14 years old, you came to the States? Mm-hmm. Yes. Did you come to Texas at that time? Sorry? Is that when you came to Texas? Yeah, yeah. So I came directly to Texas. Um, I had um, a sister, or actually two sisters that live here since uh, the 90s, like early 90s. So we we just came and moved near them so that way we can have, you know, family around. And we've just been here since. So obviously, like, I grew up in the States. Uh, I'm not a mixed martial arts fighter. Um, it's something that I really enjoy and something that I really love. But, like, my early introduction to martial arts, and maybe this is, like, super goofy or cheesy, but was movies. Like, <laughs> when I was a kid... Yeah. I love the Karate Kid movies. This is like super, super cheesy, but I thought Sidekicks was an awesome movie, the one with Chuck Norris when I was a kid. Like, it doesn't hold up in my adult life. But did your interest in martial arts start when you were in Morocco or when you moved to the States? I think it started, I think the seed was planted in Morocco because I was always interested in these karate movies, Bruce Lee movies. And when I was a kid, they were so rare. You can't just go and go, like, internet wasn't available. Yeah. So you would have to either, like, buy the CDs or um, the, I mean, DVD was just starting to become a thing, like, right before I moved there. So um, VHS players, you have to, you would have to buy a VHS player um, and buy all these, like, Bruce Lee movies and old movies. And so... I mean, since then, like you, you I, I've started getting exposed to those things. So just like you, yeah, I started becoming interested because I started watching those movies. And then uh, I remember I got enrolled in a karate school, but I, I was only there for a month because my parents were like, oh, yeah, it's time to go back to school. You, we don't want you to worry about, you know, learning karate, focus on school. So, but just since then, like I just started feeling like hungry for it. And when I moved here, I finally, after graduating, I uh, got the opportunity to um, join a gym and, you know, start being involved in martial arts like I am today. That's cool. Yeah. So I wanted to ask about that. So you mentioned uh, karate school when you were in Morocco. I'm wondering how big of a uh, combat sports culture there is there, because right now in Africa, we see... Obviously, like Nigeria uh, has a champion and a potential second champion coming up. Um, I think Nganu is from Mali, maybe. So, like, there are places in West to sort of West Central Africa that are sort of blossoming right now. Uh, but how big of a fight culture is there in Morocco? So, we do have a lot of gyms uh, in Safi. Uh, you get to see a lot of, like, every... Pretty much every, like, if you drive for five minutes, you'll see a gym. Uh, and, I mean, they, they have, like, taekwondo, karate, like, just different types of martial arts. Um, so, but, like, training martial arts out there is not super common. Um, I mean, the number one sport out there is soccer. So yeah. When kid, yeah, so kids are, like, mainly involved in, you know, in, in soccer instead of martial arts. So you'll see a lot of people... Uh, have their kids play soccer instead of just pursuing martial arts. So uh, having a black belt in a certain type of martial arts is huge because, you know, nobody pursues it. So it makes you more valuable. Yeah, I was going to ask that too because, like, um, probably the biggest, maybe, and and maybe I'm incorrect, but maybe the biggest name that people could connect to Morocco in terms of combat sports is Badr Hari, right? Like, he's also sort of got, like, this legend behind him. But... Um, he's like Dutch Moroccan and obviously the Dutch have a long history of kickboxing. Um, so do a lot of people then like go over to Europe or go to systems and, and gyms in other places? Well, so yeah. And, 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 and fortunately, hopefully I'm hoping this changes in the near future, 
But a lot of people that flourish and do well in sports, the are Moroccans actually train in Europe or United States or Canada. So if you're strictly training out of Morocco, you will not make it big because, I mean, it, it might take you a little bit longer to make it big because you don't have the opportunities, you don't have the, the I guess, the tools to, to get up there. Um, I, I actually, as a matter of fact, I was messaging with um, an amateur fighter who who was who lives out there, and he said that he only gets like one fight for the whole year. You know, like yeah. there's not that many opportunities to fight or compete. And so, I, like I said, I'm hoping our country like starts evolving, and you know, with the with providing these uh, you know gyms. For the kids to learn and get better, but it's going to take a while, you know, it's going to take a long time. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I'm wondering, you know, it's sort of like silly, like it's the karate kid type of story. But if you hear someone like George St. Pierre will say like, well, when I was young, people were always messing with me. So my, my parents enrolled me in karate. And you hear that a lot with like a lot of young men and boys. It's like uh, people are messing with me at school or I was in a fight or this or that. And I, I decided or my parents decided that I needed to defend myself. Um, when I was in Morocco, for the most part, and I think maybe because a lot of people are religious, there's a lot of uh, respect. But I'm wondering if you as a young person ever felt like because of social situations or things like that, like I, I need to get involved in martial arts. Um, so, I mean, there's, you're always at risk, um, anywhere to either get robbed or, um, you know, just have somebody who felt like attacking you. So you, you always want to be aware and you always hear these stories about, you know, people getting mugged and people getting robbed and, you know, people going to the hospital as a result of it. Uh, people getting stabbed. And so you start to think to yourself, like, you know, maybe I should start learning how to defend myself. And, you know, maybe I should pursue some martial arts because when people hear you that hear that you train in martial arts, they won't even try to mess with you, you know? So, so I, I mean, I'm hoping people um, think that way, you know, but it's kind of, I've, I've noticed that a lot of the kids, they learn how to fight in the streets, you know, it's just by just fighting. Yeah. So, um, so going the, the street way is more common than going them going to the gym way, you know? So, yeah. Um, so I was following, once Doug mentioned you, I was following like your journey through Morocco and I was getting uh, a lot of flashbacks to my time that I was there. And I was like, oh, man, this looks awesome. Uh, was this, have you been back to Morocco since you moved to the States? No, I haven't. Whoa. And that's why it was big. Like it was, it was kind of like a, it's like an emotional uh, trip because it, it's been a while since I, I've, I've been back there. And especially, I don't know if you saw, there was a picture where I'm just, Standing and I'm looking at my city, Safi, and that was actually the first time I have seen my city that I was born in, that I grew up in, in uh, 14, almost 15 years. So it was kind of like it, it was, it was, there was a lot of emotions. Yeah, and like, so one of the coolest things about Morocco to me is how varied it is. And what I mean by that is if you're in the north, like on the Mediterranean and in Tangier. Uh, a lot of Spanish speakers, obviously it makes sense. It's a lot closer to, to Spain. Um, and then you have the coastal cities. And I know Safi has a lot of like Portuguese influence because uh, for better or for worse, there was Portuguese colonization there. Um, and then along the, the Sahara, you have a totally different culture too. Like we went to Fez, we went to Marzuga, Um and which is unbelievable going into the Sahara. But I'm wondering, like, on your, on your trip back outside of Safi, um, where you had the best time and the best experiences? I think going to Marrakesh. Like, so 
going to Marrakesh was, I had, I had the best time there and I was there for the least amount of time. Uh-huh. So I, so originally we were going to go there and spend the night. And then I, when, before I went there, I, I just, I thought like, you know, I still had a lot of family to go see because I haven't seen my family in a long time. So I had to, you know, kind of stop in, see family and then do fun stuff. So I I just told my brother-in-law, I said, hey, so do you think we can just go to Marrakesh, be there for three hours, try to do as many things as possible and then come back? You think that's doable? He's like, I don't see why not. (laughs) So we went out there. We got there, I think, around 5.30. Um, we went out to, uh, this, uh, building. It's, it's, it looks like a mosque. It's called Kutubia. And we took some pictures out there. We saw some chariots with some, you know, horses. Um, there was a lot of tourists, a lot of different people. So there was a lot of people. Uh, and then we went to this big open space. It's called Jama Asna. And, and if you, I don't know if you've been there. Yeah. Been there? <laughs> yeah. It's insane. So, it's the most wild place, like little spot in the whole world, because you see all kinds of things. Like there's everything out there: monkeys, cobras, snakes, uh, people doing acrobats, people gambling, and they get getting caught for it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just all kinds of people, and like all kinds of cultures, and all kinds of shows. So it, it was kind of wild, like, and. I just did the most, you know, that I could in the least amount of time. And it was great. It was awesome. Yeah. So I was also in Marrakesh for a very short amount of time. But that square that you just mentioned, especially like on a Friday night, is fucking unbelievable. Like, just like you mentioned, but then also there's all these insane food stalls and like, you're getting harassed by all the sellers. They're trying to get you to buy stuff and there's snake charmers and there's people doing all sorts of wild stuff and henna. And like, I I don't even really know how to do it justice because there are so many people packed into this square uh, and it is just like bursting with life. Like it is, I had good times and I had bad times in Morocco. It it is something that people who are are travelers and world travelers, like the square in Marrakesh is unlike anything anywhere. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, that's pretty much the highlight of the trip. Because if somebody wants to know Morocco in the least amount of time, <laughs> just drop them in that square and leave. Let them figure it out. Yeah. Did you, did you get uh, to the Sahara at all? No, I did not. So... I wanted to go to, I, I just stayed in the center. Like I did not go up north and I did not go south. So, um, because I didn't have a lot of time. So hopefully I'm hoping uh, next time I can have more time, do more things. When do you plan to go back? Um, hoping next summer. Oh, hell I yeah. go back soon. Next time I want to bring uh, my wife, take my wife out there. She's never been. So, um, kind of introduced her to my culture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you drink at all? No, not really. No, I mean, like, I did. I do occasionally, but not not so much. The only reason I ask is because uh, Morocco doesn't have, like, a big drinking culture, obviously. Um, No. But, and uh, forgive my, again, like, incorrect pronunciation. I'm terrible at this. But uh, Esuera... Uh-huh. Aswara. Aswara. Uh huh. Aswara. Aswara, which is also just like so uniquely—I don't even know. Like it feels like you're on the Mediterranean there, and you're not. Like it is a Atlantic seaside town known for seafood and art, and it's just super chill and relaxed. But like and it, juniper, juniper trees. Uh, there's a lot of yeah. Known for like having the wood, you know that type of wood. Uh huh. I mean, we call it ar ar. But it's juniper. Actually, got dug a chest uh, chest piece made out of juniper. But a lot of there's a lot of juniper shops out there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and you could like it's you could go down by those blue boats, right? Like there's a lot of fishermen that have those like bright blue boats, 
and you could buy super cheap seafood and you could watch them bring in the catch every day and there's like seagulls everywhere. It's just like really beautiful and you could watch the sunset from there. But we found, uh, I just did like a short story episode on this place, there's, but there's a place like in the, in the wall of the Medina and of course there's no drinking inside Medinas, but like there's this place inside, like in the hole in the Medina and it's literally called the hole. And it was just the most wild place. Like, like the, the bouncer has like a scar running from his eye to his ear. And it was just, uh, people should go listen to the episode. It was just the most wild place to me. It was like the cantina from Star Wars, like so many different characters and like mostly men, obviously. Um, but just a really like, I've been all over the world at this point and like probably like the most, the wildest dive bar I've ever been to. And you would never think that that would be in Morocco, but it's there. Uh, yeah, so I was just curious if you had been there, but I, I figured like no. not. <laughs> we we did have a a place like that. It's called the Hole, and where all the kids went to. Uh, but it was in my city, in Safi, and um, like in Safi, yeah. So it was, they hear like I hear all. I've never been there, but I hear all these wild stories about it. And kids as young as like as fifteen go out there just to hang out and skip school and stuff. So <laughs> yeah. I heard stories about it, but I've never been. So I kind of like feel like it's similar to what you've been to. But yeah. Maybe they, they have like a, I mean, maybe that's like a hangout spot for younger kids. And then Sawara had like, you know, uh, it's kind of like a bar with like, I mean, no kids allowed. So. I, I'm curious about something. So there's places that I've been that I've been back to. And even like the next year that I go back, they start changing. So I'll give an example, like Vietnam. I went to Vietnam three summers in a row and each summer, like there were more skyscrapers and like more development and more just sort of like, uh, um, like kind of like typical development where like Vietnam's uh, or, or in Ho Chi Minh City, it starts to look like anywhere. It starts to look like downtown Brooklyn, like which which is not far from where I live. Um, and so, to me, like Morocco is very unique, and it but it's a place that's changing. It's getting more tourism. It's got a great bus system that you could get from city to city. It's got a great new train rail on the on the east co- uh, on the west coast uh, mm-hmm. where you are from. That like we took it from I think all the way from like Marrakesh up to Tangier. And so I was thinking of a place like Eswera or uh, Olidia. I know I'm saying that wrong again. I'm sorry. And I could see how in like two, three years there will be further development. Like there might start to be like resorts, like a whatever, like a Four Seasons or a Sandals or something like that. Um, Yeah. Are those things good? Like will they bring in jobs and development? Or like do you think that like it's better for Morocco to sort of like retain – its uniqueness and its culture. I think it's a good in a sense because even though, because like I said, I told you, like I haven't been back in 14 years. Uh, and like I told most people were like, okay, th- does this look different to you? I'm like, yes, I can see like the main structures of the buildings that were here for a long time. But then I know you guys like, you know, rebuilt around them. And I know you guys changed paint for certain houses and stuff, but the structures are still there. So yeah, having expanding on the city, like building new buildings, I mean, that's good. I mean, like you said, it brings in jobs. It makes the, you know, city bigger um, because, I mean, you don't want to be crowded in a city. Um, and I feel like Casablanca, even though he has expanded and has gotten so much bigger since the last time I've been there, it, it's still super crowded. So in a sense, like, yes, I want to see, like, newer towns and, you know, newer cities. Um, but, I mean, just, and, I mean, but make sure you keep the culture there because, I mean, it's still going to be there. Yeah. So. No, that makes sense. I think it's it's probably a hard thing to do, but um, obviously more tourism is a good thing. Uh, I wanted to ask you about this because, oh, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, yeah, pause for a second. But um, yeah, like I saw you, you had an, like an unbelievable picture of Friday couscous, uh, which I had in, um, 
I'm like, oh, it's Chef Shawin. And it was unbelievable. Like we got to eat with a family and it was great. And I saw yours. I was like, oh my God, that brings me back. But your picture is yeah. even, even crazier. And, and at the end of this, we'll mention your Instagram so people could check it out. Because there was like little candies and stuff in it. And it just looked unbelievable. Um, but I was thinking like, I don't know if you're training right now or anything, but with every meal, except for like Friday couscous, but with every meal in Morocco, you get that like, that bread, right? Like that, like hearth, yeah. that hearth baked bread, which can't, can't be good for a bantamweight cut and weight and stuff like that. Um, yeah. so like, are you, are you, do you have a fight coming up? Are you training? Like, are you thinking about these things when you're traveling? Or are you like, nah, screw it. Like I'm back in Morocco. I'm like eating whatever I want. Well, I was, I was getting ready for it. I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to Morocco, eat what I want. I mean, I knew I was going to, you know, be on vacation. But, you know, the funny thing is I ended up losing weight being out there. Even after eating all that food, I ended up losing about five to seven pounds. Whoa. And, yeah, so, yeah, it's weird how that happened. But I guess, like, because it's natural and, you know, we did a lot of walking. We moved around too much. So I, I think that could contribute to, uh, contribute, contribute to it. But, um, but yeah, I don't think even though there's a lot of food, I don't think it affects, it does a lot of effects because I haven't seen any obese people out there either. So, so I don't know. Yeah. That's something I've always found like in, in, in Asia and Europe and then like, yeah, in Africa that the bread is different. Like people eat so much bread in these countries, but yeah. I don't know if it's the, whatever, Monsanto, we don't even have to get into that, but like the bread here fattens people up in a way that it doesn't when it's produced in other places. Yeah. Yeah. Did any of that, like, I always think back to the foods that like make me feel that they give me comfort and make me like nostalgic and think about being a child. When you were back there, did any of that bring you back to when you were a kid? Yes. Um, a lot of the, so I, I would go to the, to the shop or where you buy stuff, and I would buy those the things that I used to buy when I was young because it, it just brought back memories. Some of the stuff like tasted different, a little different than I remember, but some of it still tasted the same, and it was all amazing. What kind of stuff are you talking about? So I don't know if you know that you know that pink drink, Ribey. No. Oh my God! Tell me. So you can't find that anywhere. And I haven't had it since, you know, like I said, since I left Morocco the first time. So when I went back, I was like, okay, all I want to drink right now is that pink drink. Right. <laughs> and it's, 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 uh, it's a, I mean, it's dairy. It's kind of like a yogurt drink, but it's, it's different. Like there's nothing like it. So if you're going out there, I definitely recommend you try it. Ah, oh, man, I didn't have that. <laughs> Just look it up, Ribi. It's it's pink. It's R A I B I. Whoa. Okay. Uh, something so like uh, people like snails are a big thing. You know, small fishes like sardines. Um, egg sandwiches are a big thing. Like in that bread. And and forgive me for not knowing the name of that type of bread. But like you could get up in the morning and get one of those breads almost cut open like a pita stuffed with. Like uh, like cumin or turmeric and salt and pepper and hard boiled eggs, oh, freaking yeah. so good. <laughs> yeah, with that uh, with cheese. Yeah, with cheese. That's the only thing though. Like the cheese in Morocco is not. It's always that like soft cheese, like that laughing cow type of cheese. Yeah, <laughs> the laughing cow. That's the that's the most common cheese out there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean. Honestly, I didn't, there was there was a lot of things that now that I, I remember I should have I should have eaten, but um, but I did I did eat most things that I wanted to eat that I thought about before going. So like every day, that's why I was I don't know if you were following my story. Every day I, I would post a different breakfast, a different lunch, and a different dinner. So because they knew the things that I didn't have in a long time so my sister like kind of like just like okay it's time to eat this or it's time to you know try this so it was cool it was awesome yeah i saw you out there eating snails and stuff like that 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's one of the things that I'm going to miss, that snail. I don't know if you've had them before, but oh, yeah. they're amazing. Yeah, yeah. Did you um, get the broth? Did you drink the little broth afterwards? In the little cup? Yeah. In the so bowl? We had, so, uh, we had, where did we, uh, now I can't even remember where we ate snails. But there was one thing, and, and, and I don't know if I'm switching up here, but there was like a, a vegetable soup that we got in a bunch of places in like the same kind of bowl. And I can't remember the name. Ha- Harira. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, tomato soup. Yeah, Harira. So good. Yeah, it's amazing. That's that soup. Um, that's the that's the most common soup um, that we drink during Ramadan. So when we break our fast, that's one of the things that we drink. Ah, so then, like Omar, when you're when you're in Texas, like, and forgive me for the ignorance, I could might be totally wrong. I wouldn't think there would be like a big Moroccan community, but like, are there places you can go to get like a taste of home when you're in Texas? Um, the, even though the, there's a lot of Moroccans that live in Texas, you know, Texas is so big. We're so spread out. Like it, it, you, you can't see, like, you don't see many of them. You're like, it's, they're kind of, I mean, you, there is a lot of them, but you, they're not, we're not all in one place. So, I mean, yes, there are a couple of Moroccan restaurants, but, um, my parents live here. My mom lives here. And then Ah, my sister's here, and so they they make all the food that they cook is is home food, you know, from home. So I'm kind of blessed, and I feel like I'm kind of spoiled that I I have my you know my mom and my sisters that make still make that type of food. So instead of me having to go to a restaurant to kind of you know get it, so yeah, man, you're definitely lucky. Like that that that's always the best. Like that, that to me is the coolest thing about traveling too, is when you get invited, you know, into someone's home, right. And like mom's making it. And this may be like, uh, I'm going on a tangent here, but one of the coolest things to me, and this happened to me in Vietnam too. Like one time I was in Vietnam and I'm in a park and there was a student there who knew more German than English. And I know like I can get by on German and I'm sitting in a park having a conversation with a Vietnamese college student and we're talking in German, which is neither of our native tongues. And so when we went to Marzuga, the bus wouldn't take us to Marzuga. It took us to a city just outside of Marzuga. And I met, that's a wild noise. Is that a dog? Yeah. (laughs) My dog, she's, I'm sorry, one second. No, it's all cool, man. She's trying to go outside and, I didn't want to stop you. No, 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 it's so. good. <laughs> I'm not even going to cut that out. That's in, like, that, she's, she's like literally like begging me to go outside. Oh, that's hilarious. And I'm like trying to ignore her and she's like scratching at my Oh, leg. no, no, no. It's all good. I'm not even cutting that out. That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm sorry. What were you saying? Yeah, so, <laughs> it's all good, Omar. Yeah, so like... When we went to Marzuga, the bus dropped us off at a town outside of Marzuga. And it was like 6 a.m. There's some sketchy looking dudes wandering around. Like, there's not much out there. Like, you are down in the bottom corner of Morocco, right on the desert. And we needed a, we needed a, a car ride to Marzuga to go to the Sahara. And there just so happened to be two women who had spent time working in Germany. And they spoke German. So they... They, I look German, uh, and they asked me some things in German. Like I knew a little bit, and we're communicating. And like, then they invite us into the car, and all of a sudden, like we have a, a free ride to Marzuga with these women that were taking care of us. And this is, I mean, it's a testament to Morocco. It's a testament to a lot of places, but it's just a really beautiful thing about travel. And you know, most people that I know that travel, they've gone to Europe, they've gone to Asia. It was, it's just, I don't know a whole lot of people who have been to Morocco, but you, you, it's not a difficult place to go to. Like we, we had some situations that were a bit difficult, but we just found that people were in a lot of ways really hospitable and would help us out. And it's, 
it's just something to love about traveling is meeting people that you would assume you had nothing in common with. Um, but you kind of like build a bridge over those barriers and, and, you know, you break bread literally or figuratively and you, and you learn about them. So, um, yeah, I just thought that was a cool little experience being down in Merzuga, like speaking German to women who spoke French and Arabic, uh, and me speaking English, but like the commonality we had was, was German. So that was just a really cool thing for me. Yeah. And especially in Morocco, they speak so many languages. You, it's not hard to find someone that speaks the same language as you. They like learn all these different languages in school, uh, through watching television, like through, uh, learning different cultures. So you will always find somebody that either speak French fluently, English fluently, Spanish fluently, Italian, um, even German in your situation. So, so, so yeah, I mean, it's kind of common out there to, uh, get exposed to different people, different cultures. Omar, when did you link up with Doug? Did you know him when you were fighting amateurs or only in the, in your pro career? So I started training at their gym in Arlington and he, he was training out there also. So that's when I, I first met him. Um, so he was still fighting. Back then, but we stayed in touch through Facebook. And uh, with we had uh, a gym situation where the gym we were training at closed down and our coach had to leave. So um, we were kind of like looking for a new coach and a new home. And at the time, Doug was, you know, announcing that he's coaching this new MMA team that he's going to be, you know, uh, teaching and coaching at so-and-so place. And so I just reached out to him and uh, I asked about the times and, you know, at, at that time, he said he only coaches in the mornings, And I told him because of work, I can't make it in the mornings. And then he said, well, how about, you know, I'm going to coach Monday night. Could you come? And since then, it became from one day to two days to three days to five days into Doug, you know, becoming the, you know, I mean, he, he was there as the head MMA coach to having like an actual fight team into, you know, having amateurs and pros. Um, so it, it just, it kind of grew. So, and I, I guess our relationship has gotten stronger with the time as him being my MMA coach, uh, I guess better than before, you know? That's amazing. I, I've done this thing where the people I've had on the podcast that I've done remotely, like this one that we're doing right now, like I want to meet them eventually. So I have to get to Texas sometime I gotta, I gotta meet the fries, and I gotta meet you as well. I think that would be really cool. Uh, I know. But G- guess what? What's up? I'm gonna stop. So, if you're ever deciding to come to Texas, you'll get a taste of Morocco too. So, you're kind of like hitting two birds with one stone. So, you, I'll have my mom make some. Uh, oh hell yeah! Couscous. So you'll be kind of like visiting two different countries in one spot. So. Oh man, that would be amazing. And yeah. like, I know Jin just just busted up her her eyebrow and like in that fights off, um, but I want to come see her fight sometime too. And then, so so, what's going on with you? Do you? I, I'd imagine it'd be really tough training and like also working your full time job. Do you have um, a, a fight in sight right now? Do you have like a time frame in which you want to get back in there? Um, I definitely want to get back in there before the end of the year. That's uh, So we, we knew that I was going to be on vacation, that I was going to come back. And then once I'm back, you know, I'm back now, I, I hit on, you know, hit start training hard and just, you know, start being ready. Like five, five weeks, six weeks, whenever a fight presents itself, you know, we'll be ready. And so are you... Is that all regional? Are you signed to a promotion that fights outside of Texas as well? No, just regional. Um, sometimes if we find, it just depends where fights are needed, uh, where, you know, cause there's different promotions. There's some in Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Colorado. So wherever a fight presents itself, you just, you know, they pay for travel and you just show up and fight. But I'm not committed to one promotion. No. Okay, cool. So you don't owe anybody a fight. Um, and- no. And your wife is a fighter as well. Is that correct? 
Yes, she's just turned a professional fighter. Um, she's the, actually the 125 amateur uh, champion for uh, a local promotion, and uh, she she recently had her pro debut. That's awesome. Yeah, I was uh, in preparation for this. I was watching some of your stuff, and then I saw her as well. Um, so, like, if, if people want to check you out, they can go to YouTube and they can see some fights. They can see some full fights. There's even like a, almost like some featurettes. Like, there's a featurette on you as well. But let's let's plug your stuff, right? Your social media website and stuff like that. If people want to go check yes. you out, where should they go? So, uh, for my Instagram, um, it's Omar O M A R dot B E N J A R. That's my Instagram name. And you'll also find if you want to follow my wife, uh, she's up there, Lauren Benjar, L-O-R-E-N dot Benjar. Um, if you want to, you know, keep up with her career and stuff. Um, and for my Facebook, it's just my first name and my last name. Um, so whoever wants to know about more about Morocco or uh, about traveling to Morocco or have any questions about Morocco, you know, just me a message just like how you have how i met you you sent me a message and here we are having a conversation so yeah that is a beautiful thing so i would encourage everyone to do that uh check you out add you follow your fight career and like you said mm-hmm. follow the the morocco pictures and things like that um f- for everyone that wants to travel there it's not difficult uh, we even found like it was cheaper to fly, at least for the time that we were going, it was cheaper to fly to Spain and then take the boat over. Um, but yeah, dude, really appreciate having you on Omar. Uh, appreciate hearing about you and learning about you and, uh, becoming friends with you here and, uh, happy to have you share about Morocco culture and travel to Morocco. So I thank you, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Awesome. That is a wrap, folks, on episode number 128 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Omar for joining today. Thank you to Doug for suggesting him for this podcast. I had a great time talking to him. I'm really happy that I know him now. As always, folks, thanks for tuning in. Check out the show notes for this episode for all the information that we talked about. I will catch you next time, and please, 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 please take care of each other. It's a crazy freaking world right now, man. Take care of each other. Bye-bye.